Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 75 movies, one cage. This is episode 54, Next, from 2007. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today is Zach Dazan returning once again for another great movie. Hello, Zach. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I can't complain. So this was a movie that we sort of, I don't want to say guilted you into doing. We wanted you to do another one, and we just sort of handed you this one. It was on my radar. Uh, it, was a, it was a movie I had heard of, and I just loved how ridiculous the poster looks. Would you say that you had seen it in your future? <laughs> I wish I, I could have seen this coming. This was a movie that Mike and I, every time somebody would sign up for another movie to do a guest appearance on, we were like, how is no one picking Next? Mm-hmm. The logline of Next is a Las Vegas magician who can see into the future, has to stop a nuclear bomb from going off. There are better Cage Club movies, but in terms of, like, boiling a Cage Club movie down to its essence, <laughs> like, this is right up there, I think, with Face Off in terms of <laughs> the best idea for a movie that we've done. It is a cool idea, and there were some really legitimately fun moments in this that I was just like, oh, that's kind of cool what they did there. <laughs> yeah, I was genuinely excited to get to this. I've heard mixed reviews about it, but this is really our first full-on sci-fi Nick Cage movie. So, you know, I was like, what's he going to do with the genre? Where's he going to go with the story? And like Joey mentioned, I mean, the logline is just amazing. Like, I would have seen it regardless of who was in it at some point, I think. So this is the first of a little stretch of sci-fi movies that Cage is going to do. I know that Knowing is coming up in a couple movies, so that's another real hard sci-fi. This is based on a Philip K. Dick short story or novella or novelette, I think is the word that I just learned this morning, called The Golden Man, which we'll talk about at the end (laughs) and how this compares to that. That's like real hard sci-fi. This is sort of toned down a little bit, but it's still futuristic and paranormal. I'd call it like magic-fi, or you know, it's like <laughs> it's like so. I mean, the science is very, very <laughs> small. It, it kind of reminds me of like Minority Report meets Face Off or Reverse Face Off. Like, there's this bomb that they need to defuse, but it's also Minority Report, like solving future crimes. It's a whole bunch of weird things kind of blended into one beautiful package. Mm. It's funny you say Minority Report. I, I got that vibe a lot, and then I saw that the screenwriter also wrote Total Recall and Minority Report. Sort of a Philip K. Dick. Veteran, I suppose, right? And knows the material. I guess. If you knew the material, this would be a very different movie, I feel like. It's like they took... It's it's sort of like how things are sometimes based on a true story or based on actual events. And it's just like how reading a newspaper article about someone destroying a mailbox inspires someone to write something about, like something, you know, or winning the lottery. Like, <laughs> exactly, yeah. How it's just like this one little thing becomes something completely different. Inspired and by. To be honest, the novelette is sort of far more interesting in terms of the story than the movie. But the movie, like what we got, it's still not like this is not entertaining. This is still crazy and over the top and engaging and exciting. Yeah. For what it is, it's kept my attention. I, I, you know, I have definite problems with it, but it's overcome with its sort of enjoyability, you know, (laughs) its ridiculousness and what it strives for, sort of all that wins me over. I feel like it's like the whole is somehow less than the sum of its parts. Like (laughs) as a whole, like the movie wasn't good, but I was never at any point being like, I, I, I was taking notes at some point i just stopped because i was just like i can't really pick this one apart i just it's just kind of overall bad but it's fun it was like i was always like yeah okay that makes sense like it, it had internal consistency it was like well made like it was it felt like it was made by like someone who went to film school and learned about the hero's journey <laughs> and made sure that everything was there and checked off all the boxes it was largely just like as, as a whole it was just kind of like eh. <laughs> and it's almost by design it's like that type of film where each scene is almost like here's the romantic drama scene here's like 
like the action-adventure scene, here's yeah. this scene, here's that scene. And so there's a lack of sort of consistency there. However, what it does provide is this refreshing newness all the time, right? It's always sort of something new to watch. The movie doesn't have too many cage connections. There's a couple actors who are back in small parts. The guy who co-wrote this, Jonathan Hensley, was an executive producer on Con Air and Gone in 60 Seconds. Mm. So I don't know if he wrote this part with Cage in mind or just happened to be a coincidence there, but it seems like, you know, somebody's sort of pulling the strings behind those scenes a little bit in terms of, like, the Jerry Bruckheimer nature or whatever. He knew what sort of skills and abilities Cage could, again, sort of, I don't know other actors who could necessarily play this part, mm-hmm. but he's got to be deadpan and also funny and also serious and like it just there's a lot of things going on and I don't know that he's necessarily a tremendously well-defined character I think he just has this really unique ability but I don't know how many other people could pull it off given what he's given and I think for the most part Cage makes this lead character Chris Johnson aka Frank Cadillac exciting and fun to watch yeah, I think Cage is good in this. I think everybody's pretty good in this, actually. You know, my flaws aren't so much with the performances as much as the material will get there. And I think, like, Cage does do a good job of sort of what I kind of took him to be is this, you know, almost like a Jessica Jones, which is kind of timely that that's now a show where he's like this hero in hiding, like something bad might have happened to him in the past. Like maybe he was part of the X-Men or something. Who knows? That would be a great film. And he well, certainly has the power. And now he's just like in hiding or trying not to draw attention to himself and I think he you know he pulls sort of that aspect of it off but it's hard to sort of define like you said a character like that but I'm picking up on what he's doing here so Cage plays this guy Frank Cadillac who's a Las Vegas magician or that's his stage name Frank Cadillac the movie starts off with him in a diner and we don't really know his abilities yet, but he knows somehow that at 8.09, either a.m. or p.m., he's got to be in this diner waiting for a girl. There's something important about her, right? He's drinking a martini, I guess, every morning at 8.09 for two weeks and every night. And, Mike, I was wondering, you know, why is he drinking a martini? Why is he not drinking jelly beans? Exactly. I mean, he's drinking martinis a couple of times in this, and I'm just like, they should be filled with jelly beans. The girl does not show up, and so he goes off to do his magic act. We, we learn, I don't know when in terms of, like, the, the, the story we learn, but we learn that he can see a little bit into the future. The way that this kind of manifests itself in the movie is that he runs through sort of infinite possibilities, infinite outcomes of what could happen. Good evening. Welcome to beautiful downtown Las Vegas. How many people are here from the Orient? Raise your hands. You, sir. Where are you from? No, wait. Wait. Don't tell me. I'm sensing you must have soul. You're a soul man. Why don't you share with everyone where you're from? Korea. How about that, folks? And may I assume that this charming young lady is your daughter? my wife. Well, of course she is. And what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So I guess when he goes down to this man in the audience from Seoul, he says he's a Seoul man from Seoul, Korea, I guess in his mind maybe he said every major city in Asia until he found the one that worked. Or he pulled but him aside and was just like, hey man, where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to have a couple issues with how his powers are sort of explained on screen in a way. Right off the bat, I was just like, yeah, he probably, you know, he probably just walked down to the guy and said, where are you from? Flashed back 30 seconds mm. and then walked up to him and said, hey, you're from Seoul, Korea. The more important thing in the scene, though, is that the old man that he's talking to is with this beautiful young Asian girl, and that's Alice Kim Cage, Nicolas Cage's real-life wife. She's got this necklace, and she's credited as girl with necklace, I believe, (laughs) and he brings her on stage, and it's them acting together, 
I mean, we last saw her for a split second in Grindhouse in Werewolf Women of the SS. She's not really an actress, but I like that she, basically all she has to do is just look pretty, come up on stage and say her name, and then just sort of act surprised. So I think it's cool that he gets her to be involved in this and be a part of his movie. It's funny how Zach is here on this episode because on Lord of War, Cage acted with his son on screen, and so he sort of holds the record in a way for family connections. And Zach did the family man, so I mean, it's all in the family. (laughs) Can we just talk about the trick he performs on his wife real quick? Because this is sort of where I start to, my head starts to hurt, because like, I understand like he could have walked down into the crowd and asked the guy where he's from, and then turned the clock back, seeing the future. But I don't understand how he's able to turn stuff into other stuff, or like rig a necklace so that it can... Did you have an issue with this yet? I I think think he's an actual magician. Yeah, I think that's just like a standard sleight of hand thing. I don't know if that was... Well, I think he actually just has magic. I think he just... Because later in the movie, he has that little napkin that he turns into a rose, and then he lights it on fire and becomes a real rose. I don't know if that's sleight of hand. I like to believe that Frank Cadillac, that Chris Johnson, actually has a little bit of magic, and he's actually able to do things that people can't necessarily see. I was just going with the Job Job line of thing. Like, I just like, oh, he just has that on him just in case he wants to do a cool thing. I was just willing to believe that these were kind of hacky magician magics that he was going to do because it's part of his personality. He goes into a bit of a voiceover where he sort of talks about I can see things, right? And I, this is what I can do, and this is why I lay low, and this is why I'm a lounge act instead of like a big success on TV and everything. So I, I like all that kind of stuff. How often does he do voiceovers in these movies? Have you, have everyone Recently, above. it's been bad. It, I mean, in bad in terms of like there's been a lot. I mean, for a while, I don't think there was really voiceover. Yeah. And there's not too much in this movie. It's but I think that's kind of level, no. No, but I think it's kind of a function of just kind of lazy screenwriting. Yeah. That this movie is really short. Like, it's 96 minutes, I think. Yeah. They're not going to spend time showing when they can just have him in a minute explain, you know, a lot of shows have this kind of sleight of hand. Sometimes it's real. I'm real. You've probably seen a lot of those shows. Mentalists, magicians, illusionists. You'd be shocked to know that sometimes, not often, But sometimes, it's the real deal. Masquerading as an act. Hiding behind a few $50 tricks. Hiding in plain sight. Because if the magician doesn't do that, the alternative is impossible for others to live with. Instead of taking five or ten minutes to show it, they're not, like, interested in that. Like, let us get to the part where you can just see in the future and, like, there's a, m- a bunch of versions of Kate. Yeah. I feel like I, they, they spend a lot of time really defining it really strongly. They, they say the phrase two minutes, like, 80 times in this movie. I, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, okay, I get it. He can, st- he can see two minutes into the future. They said it so many times I was thinking about, like, the technical spe- specifics of, like, is this, what kind of genetic abnormality runs on human time? Why two minutes exactly? It, Julianne Moore is like measuring the time. It was weird. This is a part here where we actually, I, I kind of like the way they display his powers, where he's kind of cashing out his chips and he sees a robbery and uh, the guy's going to do a hold up and shoot a bunch of people and he kind of uh, flashes back and prevents that from happening. And, and I thought that was kind of cool. I liked when we were able to tell that he saw something that he changed as opposed to the times he's just going to sort of shake his head and know like he had like a spider sense 
it away that like mm-hmm. we won't get to see his flash forward but he's seen it but i like this where we get to see i guess my problem is they're not really landing on one certain way to display his powers they do right. too but i do like this way and i like one or two other ways later down the line it's just funny that there's more than like one or two ways to, to show it well if you like this way then you'll love the second half of the movie which is- <laughs> <laughs> i think it's kind of a shorthand right that instead of showing me the future versions it's kind of keeping things tight that instead of showing what's going to happen they just kind of have him sense and it's less visually exciting but sort of keeps the pace moving i think yeah they do a good job showing that when he's escaping the casino that's a part where we're watching him dodge the guards and walk behind their back and slip away to him it must have taken like an hour to plan that out right but we're just seeing like the master version of it like the groundhog's day finale sort of perfect version of it which is amazing this scene where he's like navigating through the guards and later when he's sort of breaking out of jail it's basically like i wrote down like it's like he's playing a video game and has a level memorized Mm -hmm. that it's like it's got to be like the perfect reactions the perfect times but also this doesn't necessarily make a hundred percent sense because he says that when you look at the future the future changes and everything else changes too here's the thing about the future every time you look at it it changes because you looked at it and that changes everything else I don't know if he's looking too far into the future. Like he's, I guess he's looking into the future just enough to be able to navigate through. I'm not exactly sure how that comes into play here. My question was always just that, like, he seems to kind of like really experience this future, which means that when he does this, he must have experienced dozens of times getting tackled and murdered by yeah. the guards. This can't be a very pleasant power to utilize, especially when he's dodging bullets. He gets killed on screen like a lot. Here. Yeah, that's the thing that kind of that's one point where I sort of had to draw the line on his power is like i couldn't tell if he was traveling back in time two minutes or if he was actually seeing two minutes into the future because they weren't committing to a display of his power on well, screen really for me so well, he can, when he would when he would sort of die can you send yourself back when you're dead and then it's, i had to remind myself no he's just premonishing yeah. all if i can hint at the philip k dick thing is just it, it seems to suggest that he's basically remembering the future as it were okay uh, so it's yeah, in, the, in the philip k dick thing he says that like our future is his present like he knows what's going to happen and he's just sort of navigating through it and like basically finding the one path through life that keeps him alive yeah that's really kind of interesting and i almost wish he could just see the future you know why put a limit on it i think we could have gotten the same story maybe even a a better movie if it wasn't just two minutes you know or if it was some kind of uncontrollable thing something like that so in the novelette we don't really know what happened it seems like there was like a nuclear war or something Mm -hmm. And there's pools of, like, nuclear waste around the world. They're guarded by robots or robot signs telling people, don't go in these pools, like, bad things will happen. What the hell? This is adapted from that? Yeah. (laughs) And so it's, like, into the future. Like, none of that's already, like, in the past. Like, that already happened. You know what I mean? Okay. And so there's, like, this group of, like, government officials going out and looking for deeves, which I guess is short for deviants, which are people, or deviations, maybe, people who have basically mutated into some kind of like superhuman other race in the novelette they're afraid the humans are afraid that these other people are going to become more powerful than they are it's sort of like a fear-based thing that like they don't know they want to kill everybody so that they can ensure their survival it was very evolutionarily based and so in the novelette chris johnson is this what i thought was kind of funny is that he's this 18 year old man 
or 18-year-old boy what? who is like a full-grown man. I was just thinking oh. back how early Cage Club movies, you know, Cage at 18 looked like he sort of <laughs> did at 40. He's like all in gold. Like He's like this perfect what? golden statue of a man. He is sort of like the peak version of these deviations. In the novelette, he's sort of the first of his kind. And so they're trying to kill him. They're trying to euthanize him so that they can ensure their survival because they know that in the future, as time goes on, his kind will morph and adapt into a way oh that they just able to see the entire future. <laughs> the really oh cool head. twist is just that like, he has this power to see into the future and it allows him to do whatever, but it, he also has no higher cognitive function. He's like an animal. He, he right. only All he hmm. cares about is survival and, and having sex. And he has no, like, I think they said no frontal lobe. That they said no, t- yeah. no t- yeah, he has no frontal lobe. They've done, the, they've done the brain scan on him. He's just this animal. He's unthinking, but he's fitter than humans, and he could outcompete us all. Okay, there and is so, it, so much to absorb already. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense in terms of this movie, then, why you were saying, like, why I wish he could see the entire future farther into the future, is that if it is adapted from the story somehow, he only can see a little bit because he's the first of his kind. That as his kind goes on, it'll get better and better. Maybe he adapts in the movie by meeting up with Jessica Biel, because that's what's important in the beginning of the movie is that he's waiting for this girl in this diner because this is the first time he's ever been able to see farther than two minutes into the future. So there's kind of like an evolution there in terms of the relationship. But yeah, in the in the novel, like I don't know, it is really nothing at all like Next, except for at the end, when he's escaping, like they kind of go through the variations. And like the, the end sort of, they kind of are similar final like third act set pieces, kind of. The build-up to the story and who this guy is, not at all the same. <laughs> wow, this is like wild. It sounds like a much better movie, <laughs> Like, something just crazier. There's all that mutant and politics stuff from Total Recall going on. you got mutant Jesus going on there with, like, this perfect specimen. One thing they definitely could have carried over was the age thing. Like, yeah, I feel like if he was experiencing the future so often, it wouldn't that age him? That, that seems like an interesting thing to carry over. Like, he's older than he... Well, he's younger than he looks and things like that. But, whoa, like, they really toned <laughs> this down a lot. I guess Julianne Moore and her crew, maybe they were mutant hunters in a first draft. I, I could see you doing that story a little bit in present day, but holy moly, I don't know how they got here. <laughs> yeah, like, it seems like they wanted to take this story from the novelette and adapt it to our world instead of building a whole new world. I had the feeling they just wanted to take the power from the novelette and make an action movie out of that power. That's all I got. Just like, oh, that's a cool power. Like, what if uh, an action guy had that? And they do both kind of revolve around, oh, maybe. They both kind of revolve around, like, nuclear power and nuclear war. Mm. Maybe next the movie is like a prequel to the golden man <laughs> that if he doesn't actually if he does if he isn't able to stop this bomb from going off the, the nuclear waste the fallout will create all these like race of other humans that's a pretty cool way of looking at it <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not true but that's how it is going to be in my mind i mean it's only like 25 or 26 pages it's three bucks on kindle the buck on ibooks but yeah you can you can pick it up and read it you know in half an hour so i would definitely check that out it's it's far more exciting and weird than this movie even though this movie is pretty already exciting and weird yeah exciting and weird is a good way to describe this movie so anyway, back to next. Um, <laughs> Cage says, when you look into the future, it changes and that everything else changes too. This isn't a Greek form of prophecy that like you're just caught into it and you, it'll always play out the way you saw it. I think he's saying is that it has the possibility to change based on your actions. 
Yeah, there's like a causality, is that, or like butterfly effect thing going on mixed with like uh, cat. Heisenberg's uncertainty principle measuring. Yeah, it. like it's, if you look at it, it's going to change, right? Like because you saw it means it's different kind of thing, yeah. Um, yeah. which is mm-hmm. like mind-bending physics and things. So, <laughs> But I like the concept, and I also like the concept that he can only see his future, allegedly. Right. Right? Like, that's it. It's, like, confined to him. Well, they say a little bit later in the movie, I think, that, like, once you enter his consciousness, then he's able to see what you're doing. Okay. Like, if you're not thinking about him, if you're not planning to get him or anything, he doesn't know what you're doing. If you're trying to capture him, you can kind of use that to your advantage. Yeah. Okay. Did did anyone else think about Edge of Tomorrow watching this? Yeah, and I didn't think about it now, but that makes sense. I think that's yeah. kind of the same idea. Is just kind of like he ha- he's practiced everything so many times. Oh, I'm coming back to that opening scene in the casino. Yeah, they basically he's been caught so many times in his future memories that he can just kind of breeze through this. I, th- that's why I kept coming back to it in, in my mind. I'm like, he seems to experience these futures uh, viscerally based on the kiss scene where he's like, "That was amazing," and she was like, <laughs> "What?" and she's like, "This." But it's got to be very painful to utilize his power. I want to rescind my earlier statement. I think Tom Cruise might be able to be the lead in this movie, too, because (laughs) a lot uh, of it is just... Bill Murray. Or Bill Murray. (laughs) As he's going through the casino, we don't see him failing. We just see him perfectly executing his plan. But then as he goes outside... Like, it's all cool. Like, I love when Cage is the cool guy and just knows exactly what to do. Yeah. Going in the bathroom, taking the guy's hat, walking out, bending over the vending machine, then leaving, and then walking right into that car that's just been checked for valet. And then he's going, and then we see him escaping from the police, and then he jumps and gets obliterated by a train. Yeah. And things have been going so perfectly. And this happens again later in the movie, that like we don't see him making mistakes. And I think maybe this is why they do it, but we don't see him making mistakes. So when we see him actually make a mistake, it's like that much more jarring that like, oh, right, this guy is dying mm-hmm. all the time. We just aren't seeing it. Yeah. So when we actually do see his car get smashed into a million pieces by a speeding train, we're like, oh, right, this is very dangerous what he's doing. Yeah, I just wish I wish he had like one one line where he was just like, you have any idea how painful that is? I've died so many times. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> like that one little line would just give so much more dimension to his character, right? And explain his character and actions right and why he's sort of resistant to use his powers on a grander scale or get involved with more people but i also do like mike that this is another movie where several times cars it, this movie's not kind to cars <laughs> that they're not necessarily fiery explosions but like cars do not live through this movie very well yeah and i think this is our second train jump since <laughs> red rock west right this this one came up that reminded me i mean i guess he's kind of racing with the moon again here right <laughs> cajun trains cajun, cajun trains. trains and so we cut as he's escaping he does escape and he gets to peter fox house we cut back to julianne moore and her sidekick i don't even know if we learn his name because he dies very soon and he's not credited very high on IMDb, so I don't know what his character's name is. Anyway, I don't also I also don't know what Julianne Moore's character is. She's kind of like like a lot of this movie I feel is like woman FBI agent, male terrorist, female <laughs> terrorist. Yeah. And who's, I don't even who's remember Peter Falk playing. He's just playing old man in garage, really. I didn't catch his name either. It's like the movie doesn't care enough to introduce characters' names. Like I don't remember Kendall, is that Jessica Beale's name? Liz. It Liz? It is it Liz? Like, uh, wait, who? Uh, I'm wait, not even Julian joking. They, they name Jessica Biel twice, and they don't name other characters. It's weird. He's got two names, and they've got none. 
<laughs> oh, she is Liz. She is Liz. Where did I get Kendall from? Julian Moore's Callie. I don't know if they ever see Callie. Uh, Kendall is Michael Trucco. That's a boy oh. in this? Is Kendall? <laughs> Wait, who's Kendall? Kendall is, I think he's one of the terrorists. All, apparently all the terrorists are named after Reservoir Dogs. Like, there's Mr. White, Mr. Green, Miss Brown. They don't use names in this. <laughs> or the taking of the felon 123, the original. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back to Julianne Moore and her unnamed sidekick in the FBI. <laughs> it feels to me like a lot of this movie was left as a stand in when they were writing the outline for this movie even like the whole nuclear attack on LA like it's just like what's the what, so like it, what's something he could stop that would be like really high stakes oh like a nuke in LA alright cool we'll put that in there for now we'll fix it later what are the terrorists <laughs> there's terrorists you know, they, 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 we'll get to the names later uh, no they're just European don't worry about it yeah. we don't have to be more specific they're just European they're, they're, they're evil you know but like the important thing is the power let's go back to the power now like, yeah. <laughs> time thinking about how to flesh out this power and they just really didn't want to just work on the making the rest of the the world feel real. I feel like a lot of this film is actually missing maybe because like, we get these kind of Euro trash terrorist guys running in but we never get a, a scene with their boss or anything like that. You know, we never see the <laughs> higher ups. We don't see a lot of chain of command. We don't know why their boss wants Cage as well. Julianne Moore gets like that. She, I mean, thankfully they at least give her the one scene at the FBI headquarters where his boss is like, you get five days. You know, like <laughs> he yeah. runs down the whole thing like there's a nuke in LA. We don't know where to find it and you're wasting time with this magician. No, you get Wait, five days to fight. And then and then he gives her five days and she fails. Later she's like, all right, but th- then I really need to get him. And he's like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I can't do it. I can't stop you. I feel like five days is a lot of time. Like, it's not like, you know, <laughs> you have 12 hours, you have two days. Like, five days, like, oh, like you can do a lot of things in five, five days. Find the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this movie in terms of until they meet up is just Cage doing his thing and then Julian Moore kind of close almost getting close to cage and so it's like she's she's a pretty competent fbi agent i think she doesn't necessarily have in terms of the 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 female problems we've had on the podcast i don't think the diane kruger effect is really in play here it's going to rear its ugly head a little bit later Mm -hmm. and we'll get to that but i think for the most part she's like a pretty okay like julian moore's not like a great action star i don't think but i think that her character is a pretty competent fbi leader they go out of their way to make sure that she seems extremely competent they well, she gets like punch and shoot that mannequin like 48 times yeah i mean i was going back to agent starling the whole time right i mean didn't she play her in one of the hannibals or silence of the lamb sequels julianne moore Did stepped she? in yeah she stepped in for jodie foster and took up that character uh-huh. so the whole time i was like oh it's like agent starling's been promoted <laughs> like huh. she's done chasing lecter and now she's after precogs so cage gets to peter fox house and we have two return cage activities we have him shaving shout out to Lindsay <laughs> gibb in her book and he we have him playing billiards he loves shaving and playing pool in as many movies as he possibly can. So, and he just and he's like, how many Cage Club movies is he the producer on? Because I know he was the producer on this. He hasn't really. He didn't produce anything before. I don't think like The Wicker Man. Like he's been. It's it's been a relatively recent development of him being a producer. Yeah, I think like what his first production job wasn't even one of his films. It was Shadow of the Vampire, I believe. Right. It was the making of Nosferatu. Pool goes all the way back to Rumblefish, so that's yeah. what I was focusing on. I was like, oh, Rusty James better not walk through that door. Or the devil in Charlie Sheen. Right. All sorts of that's possibilities. Fault. As he's there with Peter Falk, we have Julian Moore figure out where he is because the car he stole getting away from the casino had Lojack or had OnStar or something. I'm sure you know why I'm here. Because you're the man who knows what I'm going to do before I do it, right? Oh, the show, right. 
Right. I saw you there. Wonderful. Uh, you like magic tricks. Yeah, yeah, I do. Like your magic tricks, clairvoyance, whatever you're calling it. Stuck with something hard. A stolen nuclear munition is being smuggled into the United States, or may in fact already be here. I want you to look ahead and tell me where it's going to be deployed. Uh, I, I think you've got the wrong guy. It's a uh, magic act. You going to stick with that story? Because millions of lives are at risk, and you could maybe prevent a major catastrophe. She shows up, and they have this little introduction, and he has this talk about how, you know, it's only a magic act, you got the wrong guy, and all these people have been trying to help him with his powers, also using him for his powers. Nobody's helped. Like, everybody kind of uses them for his own gain, and it's kind of frustrating. Like, you would imagine, and I think that this goes into play a lot later in the, the movie, too, when he actually does get caught and thrown in jail, if people knew what he could do and he sort of gives into them, like, they're never going to let him go. And he even says that line, like, if I give you this information, you're going to make me do this forever. Yeah, and that helped me a little bit understand why he wasn't going to help her because she comes out and is very rational, right? She's, like, been looking for you. I'm from the FBI. She's very honest with him, right? And, and I think a lot of these movies, there's, like, this whole theme of liars and lying and honesty and all that kind of stuff. And, and here's this character who's like, look, here's the straight shit. I know you're up to something like i could use you we need you your country needs you all that kind of thing right like there's a it's feeling very we're on terror here at this part right there's a bomb in the city and we need you to rescind your liberties in order to help us and all that and it's like well yeah there's no way they're gonna let me go like after i'm done helping them like i'm definitely gonna become some sort of prisoner weapon for this like faction of the fbi so like i don't know i'm thinking like i might i might run as well we get an understanding why cage doesn't want to go with Julianne more. I think he lays out his points, even though, Mike, as you were saying, she is being rational. And so it turns out that she hadn't been there long enough, that by the time she actually shows up, he's already gone. That he knows that the walls are closing in, that her men are coming in as backup, and no matter what he does, no matter how rational he is to her, she's going to take him in. So it's kind of cool we get this like little bit of a fake-out, not as big of a fake-out as we're going to get a little bit later in the movie. This whole conversation never really happens. That he now, I guess, has all this information in his head he knows what she's after and who she is, but she doesn't actually grab him. Yeah, she shows up and just like, ah, he just left, didn't he? <laughs> Which would be the most frustrating thing as a cop who knows his <laughs> abilities. Be like, oh, I calculated it wrong. I missed him by seconds, didn't I? Yeah, it's really hard to catch a guy like this. Like, oof, it's like, I don't envy her. There's two kind of things happen here before we move on. I love how Cage refers to his abilities. Observed play therapy or something? Like, he said yeah. as a kid, they just tested him for days in a row. It's ironic, but people like you who try to help have been torturing me. In the full sense of the word, since I was three years old. What do they call it? Uh, oh, yeah. Observed Play Therapy, featuring the marathon 36-hour, can you guess the next flashcard game? So please, leave me alone and let me live some semblance of a normal life. <laughs> 
And then with the other thing I really like, we see what I've wanted. Like we see the flashback spin, right? Like that big expensive spin shot where yeah. the world flashes back around him and stuff. That I guess is what I'm talking about. Like it would have been cool to maybe use that a couple more times or something just so we knew. Because in this instance, we knew he was seeing the future. He's like, I'm going to stick around and see what she wants. But in other cases, it's sort of a trick on the audience or it's like a jump scare or something like that. You know, they both work to a degree. I just think this device is what I was looking for. Like as soon as I saw the spin shot, I was like, ah, oh, there we go. Like now I know, <laughs> now I know what's going on. And we see the terrorists kind of getting their plan together and now we know that they're after Cage too even though I think like one of you said before we don't really know why we don't know how they know about Cage they're just kind of after him too there was but a then we get to later in the movie that he like looked into the sniper and the sniper seemed to have something going on do you know what I'm talking about oh yeah, yeah well, like, I, I had did a the sniper have like, a power too I had a feeling the first draft of this had like lots of people with power like I think it was like closer yeah. to an X-Men type film where there were like an evil mutant searching for him and he was like a professor X that didn't know it and there is and she was a mutant and all kinds of stuff probably yeah kind of it's, it's like they cut that entire subplot but they are already shot like the zoom in of the, on the sniper who realizes something or has his own moment and, and yeah and it had this weird moment where it was like oh shit do the terrorists have their own cage yeah and it also reminded me of that Chris Evans film push I think it was like it could have been more like that where it's like mm. espionage and people with powers, but everyone's sort of covert about it, and it's like this underworld that the general populace isn't aware of in a, on a Men in Black type scale. Could this have been a three-hour movie that they, they cut to? <laughs> I would watch this movie for three hours. <laughs> it was entertaining. But then we get to the diner, and we actually have Jessica Biel finally show up. She's this character, or she's this woman that he's been able to see into the future for, and this is like finally like the payoff that we're getting. And she is not interested. <laughs> Yeah, and this sequence is pretty great, actually. Like, I really am enjoying what we're about to see, which is essentially, like, like Groundhog's Day again, but, you know, it works in all incarnations for me. I just really like this as a storytelling device. And this is good cageness going on here for, like, a couple <laughs> minutes, right? Like, he owns, like, this part of the movie for sure. I, I love what he's doing here. Well, he's always best when he's the romantic lead. Oh, we need more romantic cage movies. I don't know. Very, really. It's so funny. You know, <laughs> of it that way but yeah this is like the the social version the social romantic version of edge of tomorrow where he, he just keeps dying over <laughs> figuring it out he has unlimited chances at a pickup line and like none of them work like she's not into any of it except when he gets punched she loves to see him get punched that was weird too like wouldn't he have seen that guy coming in and been able you know like it's almost like a surprise when that guy walks in and he's yeah. like oh, didn't see that coming but aside from that it's just kind of fun to see how he's being shut down time and again and like you know his power isn't working you know for lack of a better term right like we can see an instance what he's talking about like if you look into the future it kind of changes so like he can never get like a bead on her so I can understand why he feels like he's not going to be able to find the bomb in time too well I guess well, that's so kind of what the whole point is is that it doesn't work until he lets his power not matter when he uses his power to like own this guy in a fist fight she's like whatever but when he doesn't when he's just like I have this power but I'm still going to get punched in the face it's like him being vulnerable for her this is an example of where we see him go through the the different things in the perfect version in the actual version that everybody else is seeing we just see him walk up to her get punched by the guy and then she takes him in right yeah. mm -hmm. but we see him essentially dying you know what I mean like yeah. getting shot like he does later in the movie 
we see him going through all these failed ways just to get to the right solution, get to the right, the only way that they can move forward from this together. Mm-hmm. So he keeps going over to her and like saying, like, you know, I want to ask about the coffee, I need salt, whatever. And then at one point he gets up and she just looks at him and she's like, don't even think about it. Right. And like, is that like a joke or is that, like, I don't know. Yeah. I was like, does she have abilities? Like, can she see him? Because there's something off about her. He can see more into the future with her. Maybe she's kind of a mutant too in this other version of the script. But I don't know if that's just a joke or if she like knew that he was coming. It's just kind of weird. I, I just read that as like something in his body language was a little bit more aggressive that she didn't like. <laughs> and she's like, oh, no, no, shut that down before he even gets over here. Yeah, he was kind of staring pretty hard when she walked in and just kind of staring and staring at her a little bit. But uh, it definitely crossed my mind two things. Like, one, maybe she was a, a mutant in an earlier draft, and, and that's why he has some kind of connection to her, right? That's why he's going to this diner, because they're drawn to each other. And then the other thing, I was like, oh, how great would it be if it turned out that, you know, she is working for the bad guys and, like, knows that he has this ability and is, like, literally, like, messing with him, trying to get him to sort of doubt or not use or rely on his powers or things. Like, that would have been pretty cool. But she turns out to not be nearly that interested because basically she's made up to be this like super special character but all she is is just someone for cage to confide in and then ultimately she gets kidnapped and used as bait so yeah, i don't know it's really like, bad feminist writing yeah. that's kind of the diane kruger effect there that she just doesn't have much to do she's kind of empowered a little bit at times in the movie She's an object to be saved. Yeah, it's funny you use the word empowered because they try and play it off like she empowers him by enhancing his abilities, you know? But there's really no explanation to the why or reasoning behind any of that. Oh, she's an empowering woman, like literally, like (laughs) enhancing (laughs) his like actual powers. She's his future. It's destiny. It's destiny. That's the kind of what I got is just because she's the one just like he is. He can see their entire lives together. But you're right, Joey. I mean, she just feels like the romantic side of the movie for Nick Cage to have this subplot, right? We got Julianne Moore to represent the strong woman, and now, unfortunately, they feel the necessity to cater to the female audience, and they believe that this is what they want to see, when in actuality, I think they'd be more interested in following Julianne Moore and maybe developing a romance between her and Cage at some point. Mutual respect that turns into some kind of sexual healing. (laughs) At the very end of the movie, where we sort of go to this alternate time, timeline jessica beale is so useless and worthless and unable to do anything that cage is like all right i'll do this for you but we, we have to leave her out of it just stay at home like that will be back soon <laughs> oh my god like, right just, just don't get into trouble jesus yeah she is problematic and really her only main purpose in this movie is i guess i mean he needs to get with her or get where she's going or stay with her so he can see into the future but basically she's just a way to get him near-ish where he needs to go so he hitches a ride with her to flagstaff and he's kind of being a little bit weird, and she's like, hey, first signs of any psycho behavior, I'm dumping you out of the car. And, like, right away, it seems like he starts talking about, like, fate and destiny. She's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, this is this is exactly the kind of thing that I didn't <laughs> want you to talk about. I don't know. She's, she's fallen for his caged charms. She loves that thousand-yard cage stare. <laughs> well, what's crazy is um, she's like, oh, you know, I could take you to Flagstaff, but I got to make a stop for a couple of hours. Right. <laughs> and, and he's like, sure, no problem. I'm like, dude, that's just more like creepy behavior. But then yeah. they, they go to the Grand Canyon. And she that's where she works. works. 
She works in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> she like, she, Grand yeah, she's, Canyon. she's she's a horseback riding instructor for Navajo children, I guess, in the Grand Canyon. You guys read the novelette, but I yeah, watched nothing some, about this in there. I watched <laughs> some uh, behind the scenes footage of here on the special features this time. This is in fact where Nick Cage took his now wife on their very first date. Aww. He felt that this was a part of the national park that no one really is aware of, and he wanted to get it on film. And so this is sort of his contribution. This is something that he wanted to share with everybody, like a, like a little gift, He'll which be, I thought was great. I think that's like awesome. And I think, you know, that's sort of the power of being a producer, too. It turned out to be a logistical nightmare to shoot there, but like <laughs> it does look amazing. And it's great to know all the other digital effects in the film. That is actually the Grand Canyon. Oh, I did want to mention, you just reminded me that this movie did not receive a lot of awards. <laughs> It received two Razzie nominations. Cage, this is still the same year where he was nominated for Ghost Rider and National Treasure 2 for Worst Actor. Jessica Biel was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. In a positive award, in an award I had no idea existed, a woman received an award for Best Location Scout. And so I guess maybe this played into that? Liz Matthews won the Location Professional of the Year in the Features category at the California On Location Awards. So I didn't sure know that any is, of that existed. I'm sure that involves a lot more than just finding a pretty place to shoot. I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that. I think this is the second awards that we've discovered while doing Cage Club. We also discovered some poster Golden sh- The Golden Schmoes. The Golden Schmoes. <laughs> there's a lot of awards that I just don't bring up because there's, there's so many award ceremonies that give everybody... I feel like every movie gets awards from somewhere because there are so many award shows that everybody gets showered with things. These, this is just like a weird one that caught my eye. <laughs> so no best on-screen duo at the MTV Movie Awards for this film. No, <laughs> but the Teen Choice Awards did nominate Jessica Biel for Choice Movie Actress in a oh. horror or thriller. Mm. So someone gave her a little bit of love. Choice. I guess it's that Seventh Heaven fandom, you know? (laughs) And so we find out while they're in this Grand Canyon, we find out where his name came from, and he says that he just combined two things that he loved, Frankensteins and Cadillacs. (laughs) So he's Frank Cadillac, which is the best way of naming anything ever I've ever heard. The cagiest line, too. I like Frankenstein and Cadillac. It sounds like you asked, like, a seven-year-old what they like. Yeah, it's like Frankenstein and Cadillac. So you're a magician. Well... I have a small magic act back in Vegas. The Frank Cadillac Show. I thought your name was Chris. It is. Frank Cadillac is my stage name. How did you come up with that? I picked two things I really liked and I put them together. Frankenstein and Cadillacs. You are odd. Charming. But odd. And if you love Frankenstein, why don't you go by the name Frank Stein or something? <laughs> like, the last cool. name Cadillac is just so crazy fake that I guess it is a lounge act name, but he seems to be walking around telling people my name's Frank Cadillac, so I don't know. <laughs> we also get here, after they leave Flagstaff, they go get a hotel room for the night because the road is closed, and we get Cage kind of being, like, gentlemanly, but also kind of hitting on her, hitting on her in a weird way, like, telling her stories like, hey, did you ever hear about the one time that it rained fish? And she's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, the water evaporated, and then the, the fish eggs went into the sky, and they, they combined with the water, and the fish were born, and it rained fish and then he tells the joke he's like did you hear about the buddhist master who ordered a hot dog secret behind the scenes he butchered the punchline 
punchline was supposed to be make me one with everything, yeah, but he, but, have... but he said I'll have one with everything, yeah. and it's like oh I guess that sort of works, but it's not like super funny. I just love that they just didn't shoot that scene again. I guess they're like all right, we got it, we're, we're gonna move on. <laughs> I tried yeah. to start rationalizing that in my head as like part of the character, like he's not using his powers to correct these moments or something, <laughs> but that is totally just me reaching very far <laughs> to hold on tight. Does being able to see a slip of the tongue allow you to? avoid a slip of the tongue because a slip of the tongue isn't isn't something you do on purpose i don't know i just knew that like it was very strange and i'm like they could have done a second take perhaps they really couldn't do a second they're moving on <laughs> what really confuses me and maybe it shouldn't confuse me maybe it's more just the jessica beale as sex object thing there's only the one bed in their hotel room and cage like no don't worry about it. i'm gonna go sleep in the card and then the next morning he comes in and she's just walking around in just yeah. a towel where did this trust and faith come from? That he was a guy like, okay, I get that he was gentlemanly the night before, but now like you're apparently comfortable enough with him that you're just going to be walking around basically naked? It's insane. That really threw me. <laughs> I'm like, this is clearly just to parade her around in front of the camera. They aren't exactly close in age either, the actors, you know? Oh, no. So there isn't very much of... I wasn't getting a lot of natural chemistry between them exactly. So this whole development felt a little strange, and I, again, was thinking maybe there was a scene cut out maybe there was some kind of, he saved her from an attack in the middle of the night or something i don't i don't know but stuff started running through my head this is also the get... first oh. the first movie i've seen with you guys that i i'm starting to really notice the cage hairstyle come into full effect well this is the movie that inspired the cage with bird as a hair yeah I think. oh my god that makes so much sense i don't know why though like it doesn't make any sense like it doesn't make sense for his character or anything it just it's just weird yeah i wrote actually one of the first notes i wrote is he looks like anton Chigurh. <laughs> at least when he's wearing that crazy jacket in the first scene yeah it was it was just like oh god he's a murderer but yeah just like oh, that hair definitely emphasizes the the age difference speaking of jackets i didn't pick up on this because i read the thing afterwards but he wears a gold jacket for most of the movie oh. which is a nod to the golden man the philip k dick novelette so hey there, there you go that's 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 what <laughs> there's happened. the comparison between the two got it yeah his hair is just oh my god it's so, it's so long and so balding and yeah it's weird because he's been in movies after this with like normal hair you know i don't know why it was so crazy maybe it was to fit in with the lounge act i don't know ah, that works that works yeah i don't but, i don't i don't know really either i just kind of saw it as um there really you know it doesn't <laughs> do anything like to add or subtract from his characters like it might have been able to too, like it does in certain other films, right? Like his hair can be a benefit. At this point, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really think too much about it. <laughs> but this scene, after she's walking around in a towel, this is where they kind of. I mean, they compromise in the scene that he makes that rose for her out of a paper and then turns into an actual rose. And then it, he has that line that Zach was saying before. He's like, "That was incredible." She's like, "What was?" And he says, "This." And he kisses her. And it's not as bad, I don't think, as him kissing Diane Kruger at the end of National Treasure, because there is kind of a little bit of, like, sexual chemistry, like, barely, <laughs> as opposed to none at all in National Treasure. <laughs> but it still kind of comes off guard, and it's just like, okay, we gotta get their romantic involvement up. They kiss, then they compromise one another, and then they just fall asleep, and they wake up, and then the second half of the movie begins. 
And she says, maybe there is such a thing as destiny. And uh, I think you're totally right, Joey. Like, Diane Kruger, I just had the feeling like she wasn't, maybe she wasn't into Cage or she knew the way her character was treating and she was playing it that way and she just didn't want anything to do with, like, that kiss, I feel. And I feel like (laughs) Jessica Biel is just more sensual and sexual here and she's just trying to give more and I think it's not entirely successful but it's it's a little better and she's trying to make it work. She's just a consummate professional. She'll she'll do what needs to be done for her job. <laughs> well, I feel like she hasn't gone through the ringer with his character yet, like the way that Abby Chase, Dr. Abby Chase did in National Treasure. <laughs> so I felt a little more resentment behind that moment than I do here. Maybe by the end of the film, if Beals kisses him again, then we'll see the Kruger look in her eye. <laughs> <laughs> She's about to go through the ringer because she goes into town to buy breakfast and then gets abducted, sort of, or gets taken in for questioning by Julianne Moore. Apparently everybody is here. That the FBI is here, terrorists are here. They all know that Cage is in this little hotel through some, through some means or other, and they're all here to get him. Julianne Moore convinces Jessica Bill, she's like, hey, he's delusional, he doesn't know what he's doing, he's dangerous, we need you to drug him, here's what you need to do. And it's like Cage kind of knows, I guess because Jessica Biel is so nervous and apprehensive about how she's prepping breakfast, but Cage kind of knows that something's up. I don't even know that he's using his powers here, just sort of like, oh, like, you're acting really weird, like, what's going on? Yeah, you think, like, he in one of his alternate timelines, he'd have been able to be been like, hey, what's going on? You're, you're acting weird. Like, tried a few different uh, tactics to get her to talk. <laughs> What I got was it like, oh, he's his his guard is down with her. Like he doesn't feel like he needs to use his powers with her. But he's why is his guard down though? Because he, as a character, knows that the FBI is looking for him and that there's a nuke hidden somewhere in L.A. Right? So he should be running his ass off. I feel at least not trying to have like a honeymoon in, in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> he seems not to care about the nuke. I don't know if he thinks it's going to happen or not. Like I even forgot about the nuke at some point because the movie. <laughs> did you know and they have five well, I, yeah and i'm having a good time like watching it and i think it's like a fun film and everything but it's definitely reminding me at points like why it's not exactly a good film the structure is just like it's just crazy that he's taking all this downtime we are going to get some action but it's just weird to me but what i like about here is that the way he proves to jessica beale that he's not delusional that he kind of gets her on his side once and for all is he turns on the tv predicts the next line that's gonna be said like it's a really cool little moment it's almost like he's done this before to prove his power right like i know there's one way that i can for sure prove to her that i'm not crazy let's just go to random tv channels and i'll just tell her what's coming next fluffy cranberry or a stack of chocolate chip pancakes for the kids fluffy cranberry or a stack of chocolate chip pancakes for the kids in an safe who knows what's safe i know a man who dropped dead from looking at his wife safe who knows what's safe no man dropped dead from looking at his wife. You can't get lost in the woods if you never go into the woods. You can't get lost in the woods if you never go into the woods. Boy, you got an answer for it. Yep. That's right, sir. You're the only person authorized to do so. Uh, that's right, sir. You are the only person authorized to do so. How are you doing this? I have no idea how, but I can. I was born with it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I like that moment. I thought it was clever. And the TV is going to come into play later, too. Like, that is going to be sort of a window into the future, right? Like, that's kind of an interesting... I don't know exactly how it works, but I like that they incorporated that later on, right? Where he'll he'll stare at the television and be able to see the future. And he goes outside, he kind of... Like, he, he kind of gets the plan in motion. That like he knows what's going to happen next, and he goes outside... And there's the sniper, and he kind of pulls like a Neo move, bends out of the way of the bullet. The sniper's like, how do you do that? And then there's like this sort of maybe the biggest action sequence of the movie, right? That he gets Jessica Biel to drive a car off a cliff and roll down the cliff. Like, he just sort of causes all this chaos really to allow him to Yeah, I really don't understand what he was getting at with that, because he still got caught, and he should have seen that coming, right? Well, yeah, and, and we've seen him be sneaky and be successful, and it's like, why create a huge spectacle if you know you can wiggle your way out of it without causing any damage or any sort of awareness to yourself? Because that's what American audiences want, damn it. I feel like he's done in here by his good intentions. That The only reason he's caught is because just Julianne Moore is like, you're not going to let me die, are you? He's like, oh, shit, like, I, didn't think, I didn't think about this. Like, I don't want to kill her. I just want to get away. And so because he lets her live, that's the only reason he's caught. Like, I think this would have escaped. He would have been able to get away. But we also need him to get caught and brought into capture. And we also can't have him as a character killing this FBI agent who's, who's really out there trying to stop a nuclear bomb from going off. She's opposed to our main character, but she's only doing good things. He could foresee everything except for his own morality. Yeah, and I also have a feeling like that, that Liz is involved. She's kind of more on his mind, too. Maybe, yeah, he's making mistakes more often. Or, well, that comes into play, too, right? Like, there's he, we find out sort of more towards the end that he can actually make mistakes. Stakes. So maybe this is sort of setting something like that up, is that this is the first time he doesn't call it correctly and he gets stuck in a future that he doesn't really intend to be in, right? That's kind of cool. I didn't think of it that way before. And he's captured, and the bad guys captured Jessica Beale. And then Julianne Moore takes him to this secret government compound, kind of straps him into like what looks like a clockwork orange eyewear. Which seems so unnecessary. He like went oh, along he with so her. Unnecessary. He was like, oh, okay, I'll help you. And she's like, great, get strapped in. <laughs> like, I feel like it's just, you know, another Kubrick reference. It's like, one was pretty cool. You snuck it in on the TV, but now it's like overt, and I think you are bordering on being a douche. <laughs> it's like, I got an idea for you, Julianne Moore. Comfy couch, refreshments. TV, you get a lot more cooperation out of him that way. Well, we got to, you know, it's 2007, so they basically took him to Guantanamo Bay, right? And they're like, yeah. we don't care if you're an American, you have this ability, there's a bomb, and your country needs you, and your life means nothing compared to the rest of the nation kind of stuff, and I was just like, oof, there's, they're just going to squeeze that in here, aren't they? Yep, yep. <laughs> Lord of she, War morality really just forced it on us, yeah. Just beating you over the head with morality. <laughs> and this is when he tells her, he's like, hey, look, if I do this for you, like, I'm never getting out out of here like you're gonna stop me from like whatever the next terrorist threat is i'm just gonna be stuck here waiting for that to happen so like why should i help you and she's like well you really have no other choice he's like all right fine and then he does that like future look into the tv and i guess he's just trying to channel his connection with jessica beale we still don't know how his power works or why it why she makes it better but he sees a future where she's strapped with explosives on a rooftop of a parking deck somewhere. She explodes. And so I guess it's because he's looking for her 
that he can see into the future? I'm not sure. I think it's just, it's just the future that he could see in that TV. Like, it, it, he wouldn't be able to see any further than two minutes watching that TV. He would just be wasting his time, except that she is going to appear on that TV eventually, and so he just, whether or not he wants to, he sees it. The way I tried to take it was that Julianne Moore is like, you know, you got to stretch your ability, and Jessica Biel is his connection in a way, and she can extend his power. So the way I kind of put the pieces together was he could start seeing the future if she was involved, right? Like yeah. she, he wouldn't be able to see like when the nuke went off, the footage of that, but he could see if it involved her. Like that's right. sort of like an anchor in time that he was reaching for. Jessica Biel is his penny. She is the constant. <laughs> She's oh, his constant. <laughs> not Jessica's boat. He, she is definitely the reason he could see that far. And I feel like if it weren't for the fact that the terrorist kidnapped her, he wouldn't have been able to see the nuke. Let me pose a question to you fellows. When I saw her explode, I was like, okay, like the bad guys couldn't get Cage, so they created like this diversion, right? I'm almost getting like a Watchmen type thing where like he can only, he can't see like into the future or like they've tricked his foresight somehow by using the girl that he cares about. So like they use her and they like plant her in the future as a bomb so that he spends all his time rescuing her instead of looking for the actual nuke that goes off. Right, and it actually kind of works if it weren't for the meta shell around it all. They didn't if it ended at the steps. end, you mean, it would have worked, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but they didn't think about the fact that if he actually did succeed in rescuing her, then she would survive until the nuke went off, and then that would give him sight into the nuke. So really, they should just kill her then, right? Yeah, they should have just, just fucking murdered her. Yeah. Oh, man. After, like, Julian Morris senses that Cage has seen a future, and they bring him to a cell, and he does his little cigarette magic trick where he asks for a smoke, and is like, hey, look, it made it disappear, and then he just, like, starts punching guys. <laughs> this is kind of like the second incarnation of him escaping from the casino, that he knows exactly where guys are, exactly how to hide from them, he's waiting around corners, basically clotheslining guys, throwing batons at guys who aren't even in the hallway yet, because <laughs> he's done this, I guess, so many times in his future, that he knows exactly how to get out without being caught or captured. Yeah, yeah, and I really like the action fight part. Like, I think this is, like, my favorite action part, right? Because he's actually kicking ass, you know? <laughs> like, all the other times, he's either, you know, sneaking or running, but here he's actually physical, and it's just cool to see him again. Like, I mean, we got to see him tackle the one guy in the very beginning, but that was over very fast. But here, we get to see him do, like, his uh, karate and stuff, so it was Cage good Fu. to see that on display. Yeah, Cage Fu. He gets to the roof, he gets to the scene of the future crime, but Julianne Moore has been following him, and she catches up to him, and she's like, oh, this is where it's going to happen, right? And then, this is where the Diane Kruger moment kind of comes in. He's just like, it works better if you don't talk. Every way I try this, she still ends up dead. What did he do it earlier? They had to bring her here in a vehicle, right? Looking for a license plate. Right. Can you see it? It helps if you don't speak right now. I'm just like, stop shushing women yeah, in these movies. Seriously. Like, I know that he kind of has a little bit of validation here in terms of, like, okay, like, to see the future, like, maybe he needs peace and quiet, but, like, don't be so degrading. Like, it's just terrible feminist writing. Yeah, it's bad. What bothered me about it here, and especially in National Treasure, is that the women that are talking are saying the, uh, the right thing. Like, they're smart, they're helping coordinate, they're leaders, and these guys who think they're in charge are just like, no, take a back seat. It is bothersome. <laughs> like, Cage, like, this is kind of a cool, the way that they shoot this scene, because he's seeing into the future, 
and it looks like he's only a few feet away from Jessica Biel, but he's a few feet away and a matter of minutes or hours away. So like he's so close, but yet so far, and it's kind of heartbreaking. Like it's kind of sad that he's so close to rescuing her, but he's not in the right time. Like he's in the right place, but the wrong time. That was kind of cool how he he reached out for her, and you saw like a bit of like a warp going on in the fabric of space time, I suppose. And I was actually expecting his powers to evolve at this moment, and I thought for sure he was going to reach out and grab her arm in the future or something, or unhook her bomb, or do something and realize that he he is gained a new ability because of her. That would have been some Neo shit right there. <laughs> but it would have been pretty cool, right? I think it could have worked in a way. I, I don't know. I feel like that would have... That would have I, I, I like that they're very consistent about his powers. They, they lay them out and they don't fuck with them because otherwise then just like it's kind of Deus Ex Machina. They're like, oh, and then he just develops the thing that allows him to do the thing. Like It, it would have been a little more hand-wavy. I, I suppose. Think. If they had played up the fact that he was growing and evolving throughout the film, maybe it would have yeah. worked a little better. There's a big shoot. Like the, the terrorist do show up. And I guess, like, I guess if, if they're mutants, like, if they're, like, in the original version of the script, maybe if they know what's going on, they didn't see Cage here? Like, it's weird that they show up when he's there, right? Yeah, I imagined they had a mutant on their side, at least. Some kind of, maybe their criminal leader was going to show up at this point, you know, the evil Julianne Moore counterpart, and <laughs> and that he had a power similar, or of some nature, something. The problem with this action sequence I had, why does Cage say, you guys take this recon, I'll get the rest of the room. Why doesn't he get the whole place? Because that one guy dies for no reason. Yeah. But it also allows Julian Moore to put like six bullets into the gut of that <laughs> one female terrorist. Yeah, I mean, that was cool. But yeah, that one guy died, and it would have just been like fine if Cage could have taken five extra minutes and checked out the entire place himself. What I like about here, what I couldn't help but think, Mike, when there's so many cages on screen that he's like basically fanning himself out and checking the entire place by himself. I was like, how are they doing this? I was just thinking about Donald saying, oh, trick photography. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like adaptation to the nth degree. I really like this visual representation of his ability. I wish they did this the whole movie, actually. This is my favorite version of how he sees the future explained, you know, like the idea that he sees it all at once, you know, like we as the audience can only process one at a time. But the concept that he is all seeing, right, like that is really interesting interesting and it's a shame that it's introduced so late well my favorite was when they were shooting at him and you watch all the all the alternate cages get shot and he runs out of bullets and then he just keeps walking yeah that was cool and i feel like you didn't need to show it throughout the whole film but if the casino escape scene in the beginning which is cool i like it but if we had just seen this done then and then not done again until the very end so you see cage getting tackled while he's getting tackled while he's escaping that way while he's getting tackled and all the multiples are distracting the other guards while he walks the main path I feel like that would have been really, really hard to make legible because all the physicality, and then you'd have to make alternate guards, too. It sounds cooler and easier than <laughs> probably exactly. practical to do, but I'm I mean, glad we work- get it here. This is, this is yeah. interesting visually, at least. like It's helping me understand what's going on. And it works out well, I guess. I think it's sort of what you're talking about at the very end when there's the, co- the final confrontation between him and the main terrorist, right? That it's sort of the ultimate cage power, the ultimate cage performance to get here and save Jessica Biel. 
Yeah, he splits into like a hundred versions of himself while he's just walking towards the gunfire. So you just get the idea that <laughs> over the course of like a couple minutes, he's died a bunch of times, right? Is that how yeah. it seems? Like, so that ultimately he can do his Neo thing and just dodge every bullet. And he gets to the end, like, well, actually before he does that, but he's like, Julian Moore, like, how good are you as a shot? And she's like, I'm very good. <laughs> and then he walks down and she shoots away the detonator that's going to blow up Cage and Beale he saved Jessica Biel and it's like oh good happy ending but we're like we don't know where the bomb is yet they saved Jessica Biel yeah but they haven't saved the day and then they get outside and Cage says uh oh I made a mistake and she's like what do you mean you made a mistake <laughs> and then nuclear bomb goes off I'm glad they showed that I think I, that was kind of awesome it was so cool too how Cage was like I can't see I can't see or something and I was like oh snap like he can't see two minutes into the future because there is nothing two minutes into the future like the bomb's gonna go off I thought that would have been a great ending (laughs) that was just the end oh fuck that would have been amazing like how like um, at one minute like everything is great like you've saved the day and then a split second later it's like the ultimate well it's what I would have thought would have been the ultimate twist ending is that no in fact that you haven't saved the day you're about to die in nuclear holocaust that have been him but just then, the audience so bad but uh, then psych flashback to midway point in the movie cage wakes up in bed with jessica beale after they compromise and it's like oh he just saw into the future saw what didn't have to happen now he's gonna go and try it again and it's like oh okay and i feel like that also kind of sets up like a next two sort of you know what? that he could team up again with julian moore to stop the same bomb from going off like has there ever been like a sequel that's stopping the same bomb from the first i don't movie? think so i mean i think the, the suggestion is that now that he's been through all of that he has enough information for them to just go to where the terrorists are and just be like you're under arrest and there's the bomb and we win if they could have shown the rest of it and it would have taken like five minutes Right, now, because he knows that they are at least on the dock at some point with the bomb there, because by the time they showed up, the bomb was missing. So they could probably just drive to the dock and be like, sequel's over. <laughs> you know, yeah, that'd be like the shortest short sequel. sequel of all time. I got all the info I need, unless one of the terrorists had a power and was able to change the future, too. Well, here's the thing, like, why couldn't they just show them go to the docks right away and, like, do the final scene there? Like, I almost feel like, in a way, the movie isn't over. They should show where they go next. I'm willing to stick in there for another 20 minutes. Let's do a, a double climax or something and, and have them defusing the bomb. And then maybe we can show the bomb going off like a couple times. And he has to <laughs> cut, the right, cut the right wire. In they like didn't have that the budget. They vision. called it the bomb shot once. I like that they that, that they left it to my imagination because, uh, I don't know, I, I felt like, oh, yeah, uh, I know what would happen. Uh, and then they go arrest them. It would be really boring. There's also the possibility that as he says in his closing voiceover, which is sort of the same voice voiceover from the beginning of the movie that when you look into the future the future changes so maybe by him looking so far into the future you know looking a day or two or three days into the future the bomb isn't actually going to be at the dock anymore maybe it's going to be somewhere else oh shit right that would have been an even cooler ending like they get to the docks and like where are they and then it's like now (laughs) the hunt begins oh I mean, the crazy thing is, like, I am willing to go along with Cage and Julianne Moore on another adventure. Like, I think that they played well. Like, I, they, I think they had more chemistry than him and Beale. I don't want to sound negative here. Maybe it's because they're closer in age to some degree. They have <laughs> no, more common. No, I don't know. They've grown they have, up with the same references. They have more acting chops. Yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah, um, they're just seasoned, and they just felt better together. And, I, you know, 
I was surprised to say, like, I want to see what the two of them are actually going off to do now. Why is movie over? Buddy cop movie. I'd watch Cage and uh, Children of Men, actually. I think that would be a good substitution for Clive Owen. Oh, that's a pretty good call. What what I like about the ending, and this is something, like, we've sort of had, like, normal credits recently in in terms of, like, the end of Cage movies, but here the credits play backwards. So it's kind of cool. It sort of fits the movie that it's this weird reversal and brings us back to the early days of Cage Club when we had all these sort of weird endings to Cage movies. Well, they fucked with the production credits in the beginning, too. Yeah, they were, they were definitely big on the uh, make the entire movie fit the theme thing. But I did notice that like they really couldn't quite fuck with the credits because they still started with executive producer, director, writer. I would have loved if they started with, like, no animals were harmed and then go up third 18th unit graphics designers <laughs> and then ended with like executive producers i understand why why they logistically couldn't do that yeah it, it did feel kind of half-assed because of that I'm like oh they're just scrolling the wrong way this definitely falls in line with those um suddenly strange weird endings right that has become an almost trademark of gauge club films yeah i love it though mm. it's great that's all i have to say oh, actually there's there's one quote from the book that i wanted to mention that I loved. I was reading the book as Cage as Chris Johnson, and there's one quote in the book at the end where they say he'll get by as long as human women exist to take care of him. And since he can see ahead into the future, he already knows he's sexually irresistible to human females. And I just love that in all these Cage Club movies, he always gets the girl sort of against all odds. Like, even when he's not supposed to get the girl, he gets the girl. Even when he looks so, like Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Even when he looks like Nicolas Cage, he gets, like, all the most beautiful women in Hollywood to make out with him or compromise him or whatever. And I just like that the character, like, obviously this was written in 1953-54. Cage wasn't even born yet. But I like that it was. It's, it feels like it was a character that Cage was born to play. Yeah. No, I read that. I was like, oh, my God. That, uh, I, I quoted it, too, too. It's just like, it, it's so Cage Club. It is... He is irresistible <laughs> to women. I feel like he read that story and was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm producing Yes, <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, he's probably looking for projects with his production company and, and read this short novelette and was like, this line or this character, something about the sensual majesty of it or something that I want to tackle or I think I could bring to this. And, you know, I think he, you know, on, on a subtle level, he is bringing it, right? The dude is definitely trying to, like, put the moves on Beale and be suave and, and all that stuff. So I think a very little bit of that might have come through. And there's an aspect to this movie that I feel like Philip K. Dick tried very specifically to avoid, which is that if you have this see the future thing, you're going to be very useful to society. And so Philip K. Dick's like, no, no, he's so unuseful. He's, he's going to run us out of the evolutionary ladder. He's useless to us because he can't speak English. He can't understand English. All he can do is fight, run, and fuck. That was kind of one of the things that's, uh, that's kind of a, a little bit upsetting, having read it. I'm like, oh, that, that's like a much more interesting concept, is that this guy has all this power and is useless. I mean, I feel like the book as a whole is more interesting and sort of, it seems more well-defined in terms of its rules and consistencies and logics and reasons for being. Yeah. But I still like that you can see kind of in a weird way where next comes from in terms of the short story. But I also wish that they adapted this into something else, you know, that we actually get this novelette. Like, I mean, yeah, I'd watch and you can, you, can, you can do that. Like, you mean, Curious Case of Benjamin Button is as long as this is, and that turned into a three hour movie. Like, there's enough here in this world that Philip K. Dick created that they can become a full length feature movie. I want to see a world where there's like crazy mutants but not like X-Men mutants. We're just like, we're sort of following the people trying to kill them. Most of them had like bat wings and were horrifying. I would love to see like, maybe it would be a mini series of short films 
uh, where we actually go back and readapt all the things that got ruined by Hollywood. <laughs> uh, I want to see like Lawnmower Man as it was written. I want to see the Golden Man as it was written. I want to see all these these things that were just they took the kernel and made a long movie out of it. I want to see the actual short story made into a short movie. Yeah, just hearing about the the Golden Man short story sounds something like maybe Guillermo del Toro could tackle or someone <laughs> along that lines. Like it just feels like this more gothic type thriller in the future that would be interesting. And yeah, you could. Definitely definitely still do it even though next exists i think they are <laughs> you know not similar enough and that people will get them confused with each other so yeah you could still give that one a shot okay so we got peter falk in this movie in an kind of an undefined nondescript role pretty much but he was in this movie he was also in wings of desire which was adapted into Ooh. city of angels starring nicholas huh. cage so wow. it's kind of a cool little bit of history between the two of those guys Fault Club. <laughs> so that will do it for this episode of Cage Club. Thank you very much, Zach, for coming back. Thank you. For all things Cage Club, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews, find past podcasts, follow us on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Everything Cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Zach Dazan. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. <laughs>